0: And now we see the return of Damon Bach. No, no, Damon Bach. No, the other one. The one from. Do you not remember him? Okay, real question. How many of you saw this and were like, who? When you first saw it? I wasn't, because I'm a total geek about continuity like that. My first reaction was, really? Why? Because I didn't think he was really worth bringing back. I've talked before about how season seven is just kind of the, oh God, we need any script season and how there's a lot of just desperation in getting any kind of thing onto, onto the screen, you know, whatever they can do. Um, during the refil- the filming of masks, which was six episodes ago, uh, Patrick Stewart was approached saying, Hey, you think there's anything we can do with your character at this point? I've actually talked about this before with regards to season 7 in general. They were so dry on ideas, they were asking the actors for story ideas. That's not a good sign. And I like that. No, I'm sorry. I just had to make the joke there really quick. Um, it's, that's a really terrible sign. And the fact that they hadn't even come up with this episode six episodes ago says a lot about how much they were flying by the seat of their pants at this point. So this episode is a complete mess. We got Damon Bach back, who's like, I'm going to destroy everything, blah, ha, ha, ha. Riker says, you know, okay, here's the thing. Picard has a great line. He says, "Um, I appreciate you not asking, but I think you deserve to know. Yes, it could be my son. Okay, cool. Um, And there's also a nice little point that Picard mentions, you know, whether he's my son or not, uh, he is in danger, which actually was absolutely true, given the course of the episode. so they find a sun. Woo! they love they figured out how to scan from orbit oh my god they remembered they could do that this episode of course this one's written by Sagan actually Sagan uh, was not overly happy with being assigned this episode it was his second script ever at this point I mean I know he's a decent writer he did give us course oblivion later on but it's just well, anyways you could you can feel the crunch you know what I'm saying so there's this son who is, of course, between jobs, and of course, he's a troubled youth. You gotta have a troubled youth to go up against the the, the, the stoic and, and, and well-behaved pet Picard. After all, it's the most obvious and boring thing you could possibly do. What if the guy had been an accountant? Or just some other pencil pusher? You know, boring guy, likes his life, doesn't really do much. And Picard's like, well, don't you have any ambition? Don't you want to try and aspire? No, why would I do that? I'm happy. I go home, I enjoy my vids, you know. It would have been an interesting take on it, but of course they would never do that. No, they gotta go with the... He's just... He's a... From yet another struggling colony, by the way. This is, I think, the fifth colony that's basically a crime world. They try to explain later that this is a direct consequence of the Cardassian War... AKA about 20 solid years of border conflict so okay sure they were really hammering the cardassian point at this point in history weren't they i think we've actually reached the point where if we were to sit down and number it the cardassians have made more appearances in tng than the romulans just anyways so yeah. i there's so many things wrong with this is this not a federation colony even though people here died in the Cardassian conflict with the Federation? Like, what? <sighs> Whatever. So, Damon uh, Berta is extremely helpful, despite not being offered anything, the fact the card's flat-out rude to him. Then Troy fails at her job, then Bach sneaks in, and I, I'm, I'm just kind of slamming through this episode because it's really kind of boring, with one notable exception, and I'll build up to that. Uh, but I want to talk about the fact that the episode narratively cheats. Now I want to. This is very clear. Okay, I've talked about this concept before, and it's a very specific problem. The problem is every now and again, the creators of a fictional work cheat, and what I mean by that is they deliberately misrepresent something in a way that is incorrect, as in that's not how it is, or not how it not how it should be, specifically to fool the camera which nobody should know is there, right? And you might be thinking, well, how do they narratively cheat in this episode? Towards the middle-ish part of the episode, Bach just kind of appears in Picard's quarters. It's dark, too. That's important. Because transporter beams make a sound and a sight. It's pretty obvious. We know by the end of the episode that he is beaming. He's using the super secret beaming thing. But he just shows up and then he's gone. No sign of anything. This actually happens a second time when he shows up in Picard's quarters, but then, you know, he when he beams out, it does do the beaming effect. This is narrative cheating. What should have happened is Picard, and Picard's like, oh my god, and then Picard goes to the side and like, you don't have to do this, and there should have been like an orange light in the background, and Picard looks up and Bach is beaming away. That's what should have happened. This is This is why it's narrative cheating. Not only is that not how that happened, logically and narratively speaking, but it's done to try and add, it's basically done to fool the audience. So, oh my gosh, how is Bach doing this? Maybe he's beaming aboard, maybe he's using telekinetic pathic subglargadans. You get my point. They're trying to maintain a mystery by literally lying to you. That's narrative cheating, and I hate it. Shame on you. <laughs> I shouldn't be so mean. I understand what it's like. Sorry, I take that back, Mr. Sagan, even though you'll never watch my video on this. But for real, that's narrative cheating, and screw it. Then Troy fails at her job. I think I already mentioned that. And his hands are shaking. Oh, no. And i, I got to be honest, I wouldn't have even noticed the handshake, except for the musical cue, which is really, really obvious. Oh, my God, his hands shaking. da Like someone just kind of leans on the organ there for a second, or the strings. Um... And then we find out that he sends a, he beams a probe over there, which explodes to send a message. Okay, that's really, really, really stupid, but probably the first thing that actually makes perfect sense for Bach to do. During the probe's explosion, Riker makes a point of saying, Shields up, red alert! Actually, I think he says red alert, shields up, but whatever the The relevant point here is that just a few minutes before this, they say our shields have been up. He couldn't have possibly beamed on board. <clears throat> so then Doc beams out more obviously, and they have the super transporter, which has light years of range. In this case, three hundred billion kilometers. Boy, that's a it's a long distance. That's super long. It's point zero three two light years. Now, I'm bringing that up because, uh, according to Riker, it'll take them roughly uh, 20 minutes to, to travel that distance, okay? Now, that would put that at roughly 834 times the speed of light. I've already done all the math in advance, but uh, I also have a couple of other people here. So, if we were to go by the, the technical manual, that would actually be 660 seconds, a.k.a. about 11 minutes at warp 9. Also, the ship can go warp 9.6, which would be closer to 8 minutes travel time. Now, I'm bringing this up for two reasons. The first and most obvious reason is he insists that they can't just go there. They have to, you know, they have to use the super scary beaming tech to go back. Why? They're not in that much of a hurry, are they? I mean, I know minutes count, but how long did it take them to set up this subspace beaming thing? Because if it takes them like five minutes, then, I I mean, sure, they can make a line. Okay, it's nine minutes, but okay. How long can you get the beaming thing together? Four minutes, all right, do it. I'll get there ahead of time. You know, because every second counts. But instead, they just kind of... Also, I hate to point this out, but one of these days, Star Trek's actually going to codify the speeds of the warp. Because uh, I was looking up warp travel speed, and obviously technical manual, but um, in the episode Dreadnought, uh, they go at warp nine to cross 10 light years in about 51 hours, which is 1,718 times the speed of light, roughly double the speed of Warp 9. And you can tell why Warp 9 would be twice as fast as Warp 9. I mean, that's just logic. Also, if we were to use that particular metric, uh, it would take closer to 10 minutes, which is still not quite accurate to the 11 minutes we already discussed. (laughs) Moving on. I bring all this up, though. I'm not just trying to nitpick. I bring all this up because you could tell that Mr. Sagan was just really struggling to try and make this thing work to maintain the mystery, and failing at it. This then leads me to... Let's talk about the bad first, shall we? Let's talk about Damon Bach's plan. He has to find a woman who had an affair with Picard, who... Never, who actually had a child after having an affair with another Starfleet personnel at roughly the same time in history. I suppose that's not that uncommon. And then she had to have never told the son who the son's father was. She has to be dead or otherwise out of communication, incommunicado, so that Picard can't just check up on her. Then, having found this miraculous individual, this one-in-a-billion person, Diamondback then needs to sneak in with this super retrovirus thing to resequence his DNA... Keeping in mind the fact that this is Star Trek, where resequence your DNA can turn you into a lizard person. He has to do this without anything being noticed. So it looks like he's actually the son of Picard and what's-her-face. Then he has to sneak away, never being seen, get a hold of a ship and people willing to work with him, and multiple probes, and a super-ridiculous-phased-multi-spectric-Kelvinverse-transporter... in order to get across this plan. How likely do you think this whole thing is? I'm just wondering. Because this is stupid. This is... So stupid that I I can't even begin to, to process how stupid it is. I feel like I actually missed several points there. What's actually funny is originally Sagan had another idea. I'm going to share it with you here. I've, I've got the, the interview open. Um, because as I mentioned, he had to do this episode... And it had to be a bottle show, which means existing sets pretty much universally in order to save money. So, um, blah 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 blah. So uh, I uh, I figured Bach would try to revenge. Hang on, hang on. Uh, originally called The Fugue, the idea was that Bach had genetically engineered this kid from birth and advanced his growth and given him memories of Picard abandoning him on the Stargazer. Then Bach was using one of the mind balls to give Picard vague flashes of false memories, making him think it was possible he had this kind of fugue state where he had basically abandoned his son on the Stargazer and blocked it out of his mind. That was the original idea. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now, this is actually funny, but the specific reason the producers rejected that story concept was that Braga and Moore had already written Generations by this point in time and had specifically used the theme of Picard as the last of his family line for that, and they wished to avoid treading on the same ground. God, Season 7 was such a mess. (laughs) I feel bad for all the people working on this season. I really do. Like, I'm, I'm shredding this, this episode and all these other episodes to shreds, but I, I still feel a lot of sympathy for the people who made these episodes happen. Wow. Um. I said I'd talk about the bad, but that also implies that there's something else. Well, there is. There's a scene. Picard climbs up an obviously fake rock wall to go hang with his son. And it's a good scene. Patrick Stewart just opens him up with this vulnerability and this injury and this hurt. And the kid, uh, Jason, actually, he, the actor who plays, I don't even remember his name. Uh, the actor who plays him does a surprisingly good job of portraying someone reciting, you know, a, a horrible and troubled past. You know, having to deal with being an outcast and living on the run and, you know, it, it, it eat to survive, you know, fallout, right? It's the Fallout universe, apparently, because the Cardassians and having to watch his freaking mother get murdered in broad daylight in the street because she happened to have food she wasn't willing to give them. <laughs> it's a good scene. Picard talks about how he himself was estranged from his father. That came up in tapestry. We actually saw a Q-projected image of his father expressing his disappointment in Picard. Which, yeah, that's that's pretty much the Picard family right there. Um, they, they talk about how they, they talk about a lot of things. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for skipping over this. It's just a really good scene. A very human scene it's actually funny to me because uh, sagan is in my opinion best at this of the three episodes he's written that i know off the top of my head which is uh, attached Tap, uh, attached course oblivion and this one in all three of them the really down-to-earth human scenes the the individual personal scenes are the ones that really work in all of those <sighs> which is why i have to actually end this rumination on a sour note family is chosen I've said that for years, and I will say that for years. Picard and him should have become family. This should have become a thing. He should have embraced his son. Not because he was born under him, or there's some kind of genetic blood connection, but because of the fact that the two bonded, and Picard wanted to be there for the kid. No, we're going to drop him off. Uh, back on this this hellscape planet where he's got a criminal record and survival is literally, you know, the Fallout thing that I mentioned earlier. We're not going to take him back to Earth. He's not going to be able, allowed to live in some kind of paradise or taken to a better colony or anywhere near the Core Worlds or entering Starfleet or anything else that you could have done whatsoever. Anything. It's just, hey, go back home. Here's a twig. Bye. I, I know, I get the, this, the thematic significance of the, of the prayer stick. I get why Picard gave it to him. Follow through on that crap. Make something of it. Do something. I, I, I wanted to smack Picard. I, I, I very rarely say that. I don't think I've said that since season one. I wanted to smack him. Bam, dude. Do something about this poor kid. You don't have the power to help everyone. So be grateful when someone who needs help drops into your lap. I didn't like this episode, if it's not obvious. The one scene was really good. But between the absolutely ludicrousity it's a new word, you can quote me, of Bach's plan, and the fact that Bach himself was just kind of a, huh? And the fact that this episode, I I, I mentioned last episode, you know, the difference between a tale and a story. Yeah, there's a lot of logical just flaws in this entire story. Again, I don't blame Sagan. Not really. It can't possibly get worse than this, right? Oh, God, Emergence is next. We're almost there, guys. All good things is on the horizon. You can see it. You can see it. (laughs) I'll see you next time, guys. Cool.